Welcome to Harvest Community Church. How you guys doing? Good, glad to know someone's in the room with me. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. My name is Mike, and you may or may not know it, but we, we worship one church, four locations, and several times during the weekend at the location I'm standing on. And I know all our locations are this week getting a video of, of uh, my buddy Chuck Knox to talk about end-of-life planning. I don't know exactly what we call it. We have two great ministries that we've started, and they're available to every campus. One is I was broke, now I'm not. I think all of us can see the value of that. If you don't learn to manage your money, your money will manage you. There's nothing more stressful in my life than debt. <laughs> Who's with me on that? Can I get a witness, right? And, and it's hard in a, such a great country when there's so many things to buy to manage your money. But often, and so please take advantage of that, it gets, that class gets offered continually, year-round now. So, but we also don't, I don't think about the end of life. And I think that really matters. What happens to your stuff when you're gone? It's an act of love to manage that, even more. An act of love. It's what you don't think about. Um, the, the vultures come out. When the dead fall, right? Was it Jesus said, where the, where the body is, there the carry-on gather. And the lawyers and the government, not that lawyers are all vultures, you can have a good lawyer, I don't want to make that sound wrong, but let's say the bankers and everybody shows up when you die, and they stand in line, and the worst part of that, I mean, you're dead, you don't need the money anyway, um, the worst part of it is families fight, and as a pastor, I wish I could say I'd never seen it in the church. It's not so. Families fight over the death of a loved one. Families fight at funerals. Families divide for years when it all could have been prevented if grandpa, grandma, mom, or dad would have planned. Now, if you ask me to be an expert on that planning, I'm lost. That's why God has blessed us in his, let's call it retirement stage, we have someone who worked in this field, a brother in Christ, a member of our church, Chuck Knox, who actually teaches, and what he does is he gives you in one night a little workbook, you fill the whole thing out, when you're done, that's your plan. And you can take it to your local lawyer or whoever you got, and you can get all your documents done, and you know what to do. And I, as your pastor, I'm not talking about the financial side, I'll let you manage that. I'm talking about the love side. It's a loving thing. And if you're a younger person and you think, well, I don't have anything, um, you have something. But definitely if you're a younger person, and this is not in that class, but I'm sure Chuck would agree with me, buy term life insurance. Because I've seen enough people go, um, and then the people left behind struggle. Uh, buy term life insurance. It's the cheapest way to go to get lots of life insurance when you're young. When you're old, they don't want to give you as much. So anyway, I say that not as a commercial, but really as a pastoral loving thing for the family of God, for your family. Take care of that business. Okay, we're in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. If you'd open up your Bibles, if they're not open already, you can open them on those cool smartphones and iPads. I am cracking a little bit. Hear that? Um, probably everything's fine, but if I zap out at any minute, somebody will run up and help me out by giving me another microphone. Um, just giving you a warning. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Mark 3, 1 to 6. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue. Again, he's always entering the synagogue. He shows up every Saturday. Jesus gets like perfect 
church attendance ribbons. He's awesome like that. He shows up on Saturday. He's there. Um, and a man was there with a withered hand. Don't know what a withered hand is, looks like. Use your imagination. And in your imagination, my recommendation, make it ugly. Make it really horrible looking hand, okay? Because we want a good miracle here. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What an amazing sentence. They are the Pharisees, the the religious leaders. He's in the synagogue. He's where they rule, if you will. And, And there's a man with a withered hand, and they're keeping an eye on Jesus to see if he's going to heal him so they can accuse him. Of what? If I have a healing, if you heal my hand, I go ahead and accuse him. I think that's a good thing to be accused of. No one's ever accused me of healing their withered hand, but they want to accuse him. Why? The reason why is Jesus is becoming a real problem. If you remember last week, he was getting lectured about breaking rules by letting his guys eat grains, and, and he gave this answer saying, he was Lord of the Sabbath, and, and you know them Pharisees aren't liking him. They're starting to see him as trouble. He's traveling to all their little villages. Everywhere he goes, people like him. They seem to like him better than them. And who wouldn't? These guys are uptight. (laughs) Kind of reminds you of cultural Christianity. There is two types of Christians, the kind you like, and then the kinds who are really uptight, right? Don't be the uptight kind. And these guys are uptight. It's all about the rules. But now they, they see him as trouble, and they want to find some sort of actionable dirt, all right? Okay. Can, can anyone imagine a scenario where you could have a group of people who see someone famous in public and they're, they, they hate them so much they just have to find some actionable dirt on them? You guys probably have never seen a situation like that in America. But <laughs> just a little cultural humor there. But here they are doing that to Jesus. They're looking for anything. Healing a guy's hand? How could that be a problem? Believe it or not. By the way, how hard are their hearts if that's what they're looking for? How hard are your hearts? The guy's hand is withered. You got a guy who can heal it. They're worried about which day of the month that he's going to do it on or which day of the week. Because healers, Jewish healers, are not allowed to work on Saturdays. So the Pharisees no doubt wanted Jesus to heal the man. The man probably wanted Jesus to heal the man, but they had different motives. And Jesus, knowing this, look at this, verse 3. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. (laughs) Jesus Jesus is picking a fight, right? He's like, okay, okay, you want to throw it down? I'll throw it down. Hey, withered hand man, come here. Um, That's what he called him, withered hand man. And he said to to them, the guy with the withered hand, here I am. And he goes, you just stand there. I'm going to talk to these angry guys for a second. He said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or to kill? And they're silent. It's not a hard question. Is it, it's either yes or no <laughs> to the first half, to do good or harm. To save or kill, you have to say save or kill. Um, Jesus knows their wicked hearts, doesn't he? Now, this question uh, highlights an issue that, that uh, the Jews had in Jesus' day. A couple hundred years before, a bunch of Jews had been wiped out because Jews wouldn't fight on Saturdays, and their enemy knew it. So the enemy 
attacked them on Saturday and killed this whole bunch of Jews. And this very famous rabbi, famous not to us, but to them, named, like, Matthias, it's not Matthias, it's Matthias with an extra T. I can't, I don't know how to say it, Mattathias. He said, listen, listen, um, you can't rest on Saturday if you're dead. So you're allowed to defend yourself and to save life on Saturday, on the Sabbath. So Jesus is actually tipping into that when he, he's saying, look, is it lawful to do good or harm, to save a life or to kill? And he knew that the answer was they were supposed to say to save a life. And then what would he say? He says, then why isn't it okay to heal him is probably where he was going. They figured that out and said, look, if we say yes, we have to defend ourselves. If we say no, we look stupid. By the way, another hundred years after this moment, some Jewish rabbi would say it's okay for doctors to work on Saturday too. And it's a good thing because Jewish doctors are excellent. I just love them and I'm glad they can work any day of the week. (laughs) So they didn't give an answer. What's Jesus' reaction? He looked around at them with anger. What does that look like? In none of the pictures does is Jesus, you know, when he's, you know, he's normally got a lamb right here and he's looking kind of happy. Um, he's angry. And, and you, could, you could tell by looking at him. And he's grieved. What's grieving him? Their hardness of heart. He's grieved at their emotional reaction. Uh, or, no, his emotional reaction to their stubbornness is... Is, what, is what's on display. When, I mean, he, they, they don't, they care so much about catching him, killing him, hurting him, that they would let this guy's hand go another day. Now, we know it's withered. It might also be in pain. We don't know if it's lifelong. It could have happened the day before. And they don't care. They just want to catch Jesus in a sin. I find that, that, that very interesting. Jesus is not dispassionate towards the stubborn of the world. He doesn't go, "Eh, I don't care if you don't believe in me. He cares. These are the shepherds of Israel. These are the pastors of the flock. These are God's appointed men. And they won't even engage the issue. Jesus is ticked. What is wrong with you people? What, What has gotten into you? And they won't even answer. So, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus' motivation, obviously, was to do good for the man, right? He's going to heal this guy today because the guy might be in pain, but he's definitely injured. The Pharisees' concern, they didn't care about that man one way or the other. And then verse 6 says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Who are the Herodians, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. These are, these are the family of the Herods. There's more than one Herod, and they're kind of a dynasty of not really Jews, but they're in the Jewish nation. And they are the sellouts. They love the Romans. Well, they don't love the Romans. They love power, and they work with the Romans. They even, the Romans made one of them a king. King Herod, you might have heard of him back when Jesus was born, and then there was another King Herod after him. And so these guys hated the Pharisees, and the Pharisees hated them, because the Pharisees said, well, we're the people who love the Bible, and we love the true God. These Herodians are just coming in, working with the Romans to oppress us, to take our stuff. We hate them. 
But even though they hate them, they went to them, didn't they? Why? Because war makes strange bedfellows. We both can agree on who we hate. We both can agree on who's the threat, and that's Jesus. The Pharisees were triggered. <laughs> they, they didn't care about justice. They would do anything to get this man. All right, that's our story for today. So, lessons from this that we could take for ourselves. I have one, two, three. Three. If I have three, why is it going to take me so long? Don't go on, I need to hurry. One, don't be stubborn towards Jesus. Instead, do good to others daily. You know, the Pharisees grieved Jesus. God is emotional. God has emotions. His emotions are always in line with truth, all right? Our emotions are sometimes in line with truth. Sometimes they're not in line with truth. We cannot trust our emotions to always do what they should, but Jesus can always trust his. And Jesus is angry at them. He's grieved at them, and therefore they gave him cause for grieving. What? They were stubborn because of their hate for him because he was a threat to them. And that caused them not to think straight. They couldn't think like biblical men even though they pretty much memorized the Bible. And the reason we should think about that is when, when I see these stories, I never put myself in the place of the Pharisee. I'm always like one of the followers of Jesus, checking out the apostles, sitting there, eating some pita bread or whatever they're serving, some locks and bagels, whatever they had then. And... <laughs> And, 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 right, if you go back in time, you're always one of the good guys. I never make myself the Pharisee. But I need to watch out for the sins of the Pharisees, probably more than anyone else in the group, because I, too, love the Bible. I, too, teach the Bible. You, too, love the Bible, don't you? Therefore, we're, we're subject to the same sins as the Pharisees. We can easily commit the same sin. How? Same way they did, by allowing bitterness to live in our hearts. Can I show you how we see this in the New Testament? Ephesians 4, 30 to 32, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit of God is God. We have one God revealed in three persons in the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you're grieving the Holy Spirit, you're grieving the Father, and you're grieving Jesus. So we are told by Paul, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't do what the Pharisees just did. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're saved. You're going, to be, you're going to be lifted up from the dead. And the Holy Spirit is with you. So don't grieve him. Now if you're sitting in the room with Jesus, do you want to be the guy who grieves him? Could you imagine? You know, when I, I think of Jesus looking at me, I hopefully he has a smile on his face. Don't you want him to have a smile on his face when he looks at you? You wouldn't want to see that upper lip kind of curl and to a sneer and he, his, his eyebrows brows get down and he's like, oh, what a disappointment you are. <laughs> now, I'm not saying he's going to look at you like that, but there must be a way to grieve God or this wouldn't be in the text. How? Look what he says. This is how you keep from grieving. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. What are those things? Well, you know what bitterness is. All I got to do is mention his name, her name, 
Remind you of what that thing that guy said. Remember what she did? Remember that? Remember how you... It just came back, didn't it? You know that bitterness is. You know what wrath is when you are going to feel the pain now, right? I knew this one lady who would say, question problem. Now, this was not a hinged lady. She was an unhinged lady. And if she said question, and she once said it in public, I was there and I knew her. Her, her son was my buddy. If she said question problem, you wanted to get away. Because what she says, I have a question, and when you answer, we're going to have a problem. And then she'd get unhinged, right? That's wrath. Well, you have that wrath. I have that wrath. That's it. You ever say that? In your mind, maybe? That's it. <laughs> it's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. <laughs> Whatever comes next is wrath. You're going to put your anger out there and someone's going to know you're ticked. Anger. You can feel anger. You will feel anger. Sometimes you should feel anger. Sometimes you shouldn't, but you do anyway. It's okay to feel it. Don't do it. If you take your anger out on people, you're in trouble. Clamor and slander, you're starting arguments. Either literally starting them or you're just running folks down with your mouth. Put those all away along with all malice. You know what malice is? It's when you want something bad to happen to other people. If that's in your heart, you don't even have to do it. You just want it. So you may hear about someone you know, or to make this simpler, a political person who's famous, who runs into trouble, and you go, yeah, that's malice. Now, all these things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, huh, wonder if I've ever experienced any of those. (laughs) Wonder if I know where I can get a taste of it. Does anyone know where you can get a taste of any of those? Every one of them lives in my flesh. I know them all personally, don't you? That's the old man. That's the old nature. What what we're being taught here is, look, put those away. That's who you used to be. You say, well, I feel it right now, pastor. I know, that's because the flesh wages war with the spirit, so we would not do what we ought. Put it away. Put it away. Never justify yourself when you're bitter and you're wrathing, or I can't make them all into verbs, I guess, but you get the point. Don't justify it. You don't know what he did. Quit justifying it. Just put it away. Look what it says. Instead, be kind to one another. Kindness is a beautiful thing. It's so much better than nice. Nice is the fake mask of kindness. Give me kindness. Nice if you can't do anything else, but I'd rather have kindness. Tenderness, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How do you get tenderhearted between someone? You use your human imagination, something the animals don't have, and you put yourself in their shoes. You try to look at it from their point of view. Your heart will soften. Forgiving one another as God forgave you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't want Jesus to be thinking, look at this stubborn, hard-hearted person. Look, folks. Bitterness, anger, slander, clamor, malice, all these are matters of the heart, right? They're all internal. Other people may not even know they're there. It's hard to keep them quiet long, but they're in there. But guess what they do? They mess up your brain. They mess up your thinking. You will not think straight relationally if these are guiding you. If you do not put these down, 
lay them on the cross. Do you have situations right now you know in your heart you got to repent of and you didn't even know it when you walked in today? Because you know I'm bitter towards this person. I'm in this business dealing and he's doing me dirty and he's lying and I'm bitter and I'm angry. Trust me, if you're letting those emotions rule your thoughts, your thoughts are of the devil. You're going to have to deal with it with a tender heart. (laughs) You got to be kind. Bitterness twists the heart. I love this be kind to one another. What a great command. Be kind to one another. That's a command. Be kind. We need to be a tribe of tender hearts. And by the way, you can be manly and kind. (laughs) Matter of fact, the more manly you are, the more people appreciate it when you're kind. For those at the other campuses, right now my buddy Anthony's in the room. He's like six foot nine. I am so happy that he's kind. He's manly. If he was wrathful, I ain't going to hang around with him. A true man is kind. We want to be children of God. Second application. Know that you are being watched and don't let it bother you. If you're a Christian, you're being watched. If you're a real Christian. If, if you go to work or if you go to school, if you're in your family and you say, well, no one knows I'm a Christian. Can I tell you something? They are probably right. <laughs> you're probably not. You're probably just a churchgoer. But if you're a Christian, people figure it out. You don't even think they figured it out. They figure it out. They see it. You let on. You're one of those wackos and they're watching you. The self-righteous folks who ran society kept their eye on Jesus, and they hated him. (laughs) Well, they won't always hate you, but they did. The same is true of you and I in this world. I learned this lesson early. I became a Christian uh, as a a couple years out of my home, and it was a radical change for me because I was not a church-going kid who had to, you know, I kind of was forced to live that lifestyle anyway, and then I got saved. I was a pagan, (laughs) though I didn't use that word about gets around myself. If I did, I would have thought it was cool right? If, I, if someone said, you're a pagan and a heathen, I would have said, well, that's cool. And I, I might have got them tattooed on me, pagan and heathen. That's what I was. I was a heathen. Then I got saved, and all of a sudden, you change. And I had family members who started treating me. I went to college because I figured, hey, I got to go learn something now that I'm saved. In my first year, I had a professor single me out, read my paper in front of everybody, said, this guy's, he's a good writer. Oh, for a, for, I wasn't a freshman then, but for a first time writing class, whatever, this is really good. Two weeks later, she found out I'm a Christian. Three weeks later, she would single me out in class. She didn't even grade my final paper. She wouldn't even put a grade on it. She was so offended that I existed. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck did I sign up for? Look what Jesus says. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I'm always in marching in an army that's won the battle. That's what he says. And through us, Christ spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You smell. You people smell. I noticed it when you came in here. (laughs) That's what he's saying. And and God, 
uses Jesus says through us he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him the knowledge of Jesus Jesus ain't walking around healing withered hands right now so what he does is every human who loves Christ has the Holy Spirit in him so Jesus ekes out when you speak of Christ when you speak of the gospel and so people watch you no people smell you for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Wow, that's wild. I, I don't, we don't have time to think too much about that, but maybe you could meditate on that on some of your, one of your prayer times. We are actually the aroma of Christ to God. I said you smell. I didn't say you smell bad. I mean, <laughs> that saying is God goes, they smell like my son to me. Okay, so, so let's fo- follow this. To one, you're a fragrance from death to death. So people are watching you. And if you stand out as a Christian, they're going to keep their eye on you for as long as they're with you. They're going to see if you're for real or not for real. And for those who are perishing, you are going to smell death to death. So God looks down on the earth, and there's you being a smell to people who are hating God, rebelling against God, refusing God, and then you bring Jesus to them, and you yourself become the object of what they smell, and, and, and they say, this is death. They, nothing smells worse than death, by the way. Nothing. Nothing. Have you ever smelled a dead thing and smelled them good? <laughs> you know, ask hunters. They'll tell you what part not to cut. But if you come up on that thing on a hot summer day, dead... And there's people who've smelled dead humans. Thank God I never have. They say they never forget it. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So you, you, you approach some people, they hate God, they're wicked, they reject Him, and then you, they smell you. Because you got the flavor of Christ on you, and all of a sudden, they're alive. They're like, I, w- I want to hear more. I remember back in the ninth grade, this guy named Brent. He was a nasty dude, Brent. He, could, he, would, he was just a bad kid, all right? He got radically saved. I didn't know what that was at the time. He started carrying around two Bibles, one for himself, one for other people. And he, he stopped being scary to me, and that was good. Um, I always wanted to be around Brent because he'd always talk about the Bible whenever he's learning. I wasn't a Bible kid. I wasn't on that path at all. Looking back, I realized he was the fragrance, and I, God was calling me, and I wanted to be around him. Other people hated him. <laughs> it's the same with you. It's the same with you. You're a good smell to some, and you're a bad smell to others. Who is sufficient for these things? Who can understand this? If, are you a Christian? You're being watched. <laughs> In fact, you're emitting an odor. For some, it's perfume. For some, it is rancid roadkill with maggots all over it. So here's, here's what I'd say to all of us. Give up hope, both as individuals and as a church, that everyone's going to like you. Don't even try to keep peace with everybody. Because the terms of the people to whom you do not smell good of keeping the peace is you compromising the truth or shutting your mouth about Christ. When you stand on truth, (laughs) 
Let's say it gets harder and harder to be received in polite society without friction. So you stand on truth anyway. You know why this is, okay, now you might say, well, man, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I didn't come to Christian to, to, to make trouble in my life. I get along with everybody now. <laughs> why would I want to smell like something? Sure, it makes me friends with some people, but some people I'm nice to, I'm kind to them, like you said, and they hate me for no reason. Why should I stand? Well, the truth is, this is a world of losers, And you're a loser, and I'm a loser. You see, people don't go to hell because they're infected with the disease of sin. People go to hell because they're rebellious against God because of sin. And there's a difference. If we were victims of sin, why would God send us to hell? But if we tell God, if you fight God, in your sin, and tell him whatever you'd tell him, do you think you're going to win that fight or lose it? You're going to lose. <laughs> and that's what we are. We're a world of losers. And then Christ came and said, I'm here to fix this. <laughs> I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to die for you. And any who believes in me, your sins are forgiven. You're no longer this, but you are the fragrance of me to the Father. And you're righteous and you're holy and you went from loser to winner. Why should you sign up for it? Who doesn't want to be on the winning team? And not only that, your neighbor may need you to tell them because they're about to switch teams too. You've been rescued and transformed. This same text said you are triumphant. Just think of it this way. Let's say you're in Cleveland. All right, already. That's not hell. It's like purgatory, but... Let's just say you're in Cleveland. It's not as bad as Columbus, all right? Yeah, Columbus is worse. You're in Cleveland, and you're surrounded by Browns fans. Winners or losers? Winners or losers, the Browns? Browns, not losers, right? Are you going to take off your, your Pittsburgh Steeler jersey? So the losers don't hate you for being how many times champ? Six, Six times champ. You gonna do that? No. And you gonna do that? And you Steeler fans gonna do that? No. You're gonna wave your terrible towel. Yes. Well, that's just a stupid football game. Jesus Christ has died to rescue you from hell, has crushed Satan, will raise you from the dead, and you will ascend into heaven. Are you gonna be ashamed of him in Cleveland or Catanning or Indiana? No, it's triumphant. And not only that, the other team's not our enemy. We were them. We want them saved. I got a lot of friends on the other side of the fence. Anyway, third thing, third. This is the active part of number two. Do the right thing and speak the truth even if it triggers those who hate Jesus. Jesus is awesome. He didn't back away from the moment. He could have. He could have very easily said, huh, these guys are gonna try to get me. If I heal this guy with a withered hand, they're going to say, look, you did it on Saturday. Sun's gonna go down in like, what, seven hours? Sabbath will be over. I could heal it then. Why fight? 
Why take a stand on this issue? I remember when I first became a pastor, talking with some other pastors, says, well, I never preach about abortion. Why? Because I know if I get them saved first, then they'll change their minds. So Jesus' voice never goes out to the church about how babies are being slain, made in the image of God. Well, I don't want politics. It's not, it's not politics if you're a baby. It's death. If you're a pregnant mom who doesn't know what to do, it's a lifeline. <laughs> Jesus wasn't like that. He's like, well, we don't have to fight about this. I'll tell you what, I'll just slide this guy. Zip, he could slide him a little painkiller. Zip through the air. No one will know. He'll be like, my hand's withered, but it feels better. <laughs> Stop in tomorrow, (laughs) right? I mean, why fight with these guys? Hey, gentlemen, I know. Dialogue will help us here. If we could just dialogue. Let's sit down. I'll listen to your side. You listen to my side. We can really understand each other. And perhaps I can help move you to my side. Of course, that's silly. But that's how Christians act very often on issues on which they should not compromise and they don't have a better answer. It's the Joel Olstein on TV example. Are you saying, said Larry King or whoever asked him, that if I don't receive Christ, I could die and go to hell? Answer, Joel, is yes. Well, I don't want to make fun of Joel if we do the same. We need to be like Jesus and speak and act without fear. I'm telling you, the hardest area today is this whole gender identity crud. You live in a postmodern world. If you don't know what that is, philosophically, you don't need to. You're seeing it. It means truth doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Truth is mob rule. Truth is what everyone says it is. Well... Just, why say anything if they, you know, sure, two men can get married, whatever. Sure, a boy can be a girl. Why should we fight over that? You're not going to have an answer that satisfies them. You're just lying. Either you're going to have to give up the truth or you're just going to have to fake like the truth ain't true. But it could be other more traditional areas. Sometimes you've got to take a stand at work because everything that the boss wants to do, as a matter of course, really amounts to lying and stealing from the clients. Well, you could either not be a witness for Christ or be a witness. What Jesus teaches us is you speak the truth and do the right thing. Always do the right thing and speak the truth. And if it triggers people, let them be triggered. Those Pharisees were so triggered, they went off to the, to the Herodians, who they hate, but who had political power and said, have you noticed the crowds? Yeah, we've noticed. We hate them too. We're going to try to get some dirt on them to figure out how you can throw them in jail or something. And it, and it would get them killed. I hope you see that that this could get you in trouble. And in America, we never had to worry too much about persecution, but those days may be over in our lifetime. Let's hope not, but they may be. If they are, what will you do? Well, if you won't take a stand in little times when there's no persecution, when it's just people talking at school, 
What makes you think you're going to grow some courage when it really counts? I guess it really counts in the little stuff. To team up with Jesus can cause you trouble. Jesus triggers people. <laughs> the apostles would share. He say uh, two of the apostles said near the end of his life. They didn't know it was the end of his life. He, they said, "Hey, you're talking about coming into your kingdom." Uh, me, James, and my brother John here, I think we're obviously two of the best friends you got. You got Peter too, but we're cooler than Peter. He's kind of dumb and he talks too much. And <laughs> always sticking his foot in his mouth, me and John don't do that. Maybe I could sit on your right, he could sit on your left, and Peter can have some other job. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I, cu- I drink? They said, yeah, 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 we can drink anything. He meant... I'm going to drink a cup of suffering because the world hates me in order to save the world. They say, oh, we can drink anything. What's he say to them? Well, this job is not mine to give, but you're going to drink that cup. And they did. They did. James, John, actually, he lived the longest of all the apostles. He did get boiled in oil and somehow lived. (laughs) Died in prison. The rest of them chopped up crucified, killed, jailed, suffered. Why? Were they mean guys? No. They just did the right thing and told the truth. Christians throughout the ages have had this happen. And sometimes from religious people. (laughs) One of my favorite guys is a guy named John Huss. John Huss was, was this Czechoslovakian dude who believed that the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice and that people should read it in their own language. So he translated it into whatever Czech version they had. And and the religious folks were so mad that they burned him at the stake. But the funny part was, about 50 years before him, there was a guy named Wycliffe in England who said that the, the Bible should be translated into English so regular people can read it. And the church hated him, but he managed to live and die in old age anyway. And the church said, the church at this time said, We made a mistake. (laughs) And they went over to England, they dug up his bones, and they burned him. (laughs) No kidding. Threw his ashes in the river. This has always been the way. This has always been the way. The people who are the fragrance of Christ in China right now are Many of them are going to jail, having their houses knocked over. Why? What should they do differently? Nothing. Speak the truth, do the right thing, and if it triggers people, trust God. Why? Because you are the fragrance of Christ to God. Don't mess up the fragrance. Don't mess it up. Don't smell wrong. (laughs) Look what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. (laughs) If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. How many churches are selling out these days? There's no difference between what they're teaching and what the world says except they use God words. (laughs) They're just selling out.
Jesus said, look, if they hate you, they hated me first. (laughs) If you were of them, they'd love you because you're just like them. But because you're not like them, because you're not of the world, but I chose you. Isn't it good to be chosen by Jesus? Look, you're going to be pushing up daisies either way. You're going to be pushing up daisies. Buy the farm. Shed the mortal coil. Pass. Right? Croak. <laughs> it's, it's coming. Who are you going to live for? Who are you going to die for? And what happens the day after? Christ is the winning team. He chose you. What a gift. It's great to be alive in a world where people might hate you because of Christ. Nothing to be afraid of. It's actually awesome. You're on the winning team. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world wants you. Therefore, the world wants. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's Jesus. You're you. Who's he talking to? He said, the world doesn't hate me. I don't run around seeing that hate. Oh, just talk a little more, Jesus. Meet a few more folks. You'll get your share. Well, I can find a way to do Christianity. There's always those cool Christians who are so hip. They're smarter than all those barefoot, backwoods, unwashed, Bible-believing, redneck, stupid types. Because they see the sense that women can marry women in the Bible and Jesus didn't say anything just read the red letters or something stupid like that no if you if you love them they're going to hate you remember the word I said to you a servant's not greater than his master if they persecuted me they'll persecute you they didn't just persecute you Lord they crucified you if they kept my word they'll keep yours also that's the good part some will be saved Some will be saved. Now listen, if you get scared of being persecuted, don't be. God will be there in the moment you need him. Most folks won't. Even in China, most folks won't be killed for the faith. But some will. (laughs) God will be there for that person. We live in a time of triggered people. Did you guys notice how triggered the world is? Some people call it an outrage culture. Have you noticed this? We live in a time of political correctness, woke thinking. People have the special insight to know how stupid you are. I guarantee you nothing triggers this woke culture more than Jesus. Nothing makes a snowflake out of someone faster than Jesus. Don't believe it? Tell the world that Jesus is the Savior, that that God killed him, crushed him, so that you could be saved and they will be triggered. Tell the world... That there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ and they will be triggered. (laughs) Tell the world that Jesus said not some but most will go to punishment. And they will lose their everlasting minds. Tell the world that God created them male and female. And it's child abuse to tell little children otherwise. Definitely child abuse to raise them as cross-dressers. 
and they will tell you that you are a hateful, bigoted, awful human being. But some of them will get saved. Jack Phillips was the owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop. You've heard the story, he triggered a nation. He'd make a cake for anybody. He's not going to make a gay wedding cake. I even heard Christians saying, well, I'd make the cake. He's just being self-righteous. Christians ready to kick him under the bus. He's a good example for us all. We can expect things to get worse before they get better because in our society, the universities, the entertainment industry, the news media, and the political left are aligned against Christ. And if you're on the political right, you'd say, well, I guess they're good. They're not good. They just know that a huge, like 40% of their vote comes from you. So they'll suck up to you. If they didn't need you, trust me, the political right doesn't need you either. They wouldn't care for you either. They just want your vote. So what should we do? How should we then live? Well, this is the good news. Right? This is going to make you feel good. Because hopefully all your moms told you this. If they didn't, you had a bad mom. Sorry. You still have a good Jesus. You should show loving kindness to people all the time. You should do what's right and you should always speak the truth. The vision of Harvest, really, if you follow the vision of this church, we stole it. It's not original. It might remind you of, of you know, <laughs> of uh, walk with God and, and do justice and all that stuff. It, we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. We're disciples of Christ, which means we do what? We walk with God, we love one another, we seek the lost. Just live that simple life and don't be a coward. Be bold and kind. Maybe that's, that'll be my tattoo. I haven't got a tattoo yet. Maybe I'll put bold and kind. I'll put bold, heathen, kind, pagan on this side. And I'll come to church and go like this. Rah! <laughs> Live that way. We want to smell like Christ to our Father. And that'll mean smelling like roadkill to some and smelling like springtime coming in the window to others. That's your life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.